Thank you, everyone, for allowing me to join you again this weekend as we worship together. Once again, I know it is not optimal. I imagine many of you prefer to be gathered together in our various campuses, but until we can really go back together and do it in the right way, God has allowed his church to be dispersed. And by the way, you don't have to be officially part of Wooddale Church. I realize that this broadcast is literally going around the world. And we are all part of the church if we have Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. And Christ's church is not a building, is it? It's wherever you are. It's wherever we are. And so God is with us in these moments. And I know that you're going to be blessed because God has already spoken so much to my own heart through this message that I've been preparing. Now, just a couple of things I want to let you know. We have a very special event coming up this Thursday. You'll get more information about it at the end of our service. But you can join us on the National Day of Prayer at 8 a.m. on Thursday. And I'll be speaking for about 20 minutes on revival and prayer. And you don't want to miss it. And folks, we really need to be thinking about our nation, about our neighbors, about each other in a very serious time of prayer. So I'll see you Thursday. Also, you're going to be getting some exciting news about some enhancement we're making to our online services, some very interactive things. You'll be hearing about that. And our Sermon Buck store is going to go live uh, pretty soon. And so all of our kids will have an opportunity to earn points and uh, be able to then uh, get great prizes uh, from the Sermon Buck store. So lots of information coming your way in the next 10 days. And I just want you to know we're not sitting on our hands. We're moving forward with our vision of hope to impart the hope of the gospel here, near, and far. And it starts by each one of us being inspired personally by that hope as well. Well, in the preparation for the message this weekend, I came across a phrase that really captured my mind. I had to stop and think about it. It's a phrase that's part of a book written by Dr. Richard Keefe, who is the uh, leader of the uh, Doctor of Psychology program at Duke University, and particularly sports psychology. And uh, his phrase goes like this. He calls it the effortless present. The effortless present. You say, what does that mean? Well, you probably know it better as being in the zone. And a lot of times you'll hear athletes talk about that, like, like a baseball player who's in the batter's box, right? And they're waiting for that pitch to come, and the pitch is made, and the ball's coming, and it looks like it's the size of a watermelon. They can't miss it, and they crush it and hit a home run. They're in the zone. Or the pitcher's on the mound, right? They're staring down at the, at the batter and the plate and the strike zone. And that strike zone that normally is so small looks like the side of a barn and they wind up and they pitch and they can paint every corner and strike out the side. Or imagine a basketball player when she's in the zone. She's got the ball in her hands and she aims for that basket, but that basket looks as big as a hula hoop and she sinks every shot and gets the highest score of the game and they win. Or think about the golfer who makes that effortless swing and that ball goes far and strong and straight and true and they win the championship and a whole bunch of money. Or you think about the performer and his hands just seem to float over the keys of the keyboard and they play a complicated piece as though it were the simple scales they've been practicing since childhood and everybody listens, is enraptured by this as though the musician and the, and the instrument had become one. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever 
been in the zone? Have you ever been in that place of the effortless present? I have. I'm there frequently. Every time I go to the freezer and I open it up and I pull out a half gallon of ice cream, like my monster cookie ice cream, I tune everything out. And folks, I want to tell you something. I become one with the ice cream. And I effortlessly can consume a half a gallon without even thinking about it. Seriously. Have you ever been in the zone? Maybe it's your job or your hobby or a task, just something you, you did. It, it just happened so easily. You did it so well. And it's like, how did this happen? You were in the zone. It was a moment of the effortless present. Well, that's what happened at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, where we've been looking. The people experienced the hurricane presence of the Holy Spirit who settled on them and in them and suddenly found themselves in the zone of God. Listen to it. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Wasn't that fantastic? Wouldn't you want to be in an experience like that? That's described there in the book of Acts? Well, I want, I want to suggest to you that there's an idea here that we really need to unpack and get a hold of. And I've kind of put it in a, in a possibility. And it goes like this. I want you to understand that it is possible for you and me individually and together as Christ church, it is possible to live in the effortless present of God's eternal presence. It is possible. We can get to that place where we live in the effortless present, in the moment with God, in the God zone of God's eternal presence. Now, isn't that isn't that an awesome invitation? I mean, don't you want to accept that? Don't you want to live there? Don't you want to be there? You say, is that really possible? I think it is. I mean, in John chapter 17, I was reading it this week, Jesus prayed and he prayed to his father and prayed that we would be one with him as he is one with his father. Wow, in the zone, in the moment, in the presence of God himself. Or think about the church. I mean, wouldn't it be awesome as a, as a community of believers to come together like they did at Pentecost and be in the moment with God, have God flowing in and God flowing through us and, and, and living out the life of Christ in, in effortlessness, in the effortlessness present of God's eternal presence. See, that sounds really radical. It is radical. Christ wants his church to be radical, folks. You know, I've been hearing a lot of people write on blogs and talk, pastors and, and, and other folks, about you know, the fact that when we finally are able to come back to our church buildings, and you all know the church is not the building, right? 
But when we are all able to come back to our church buildings, it's just not going to be the same again. It just isn't going to be like it was. And it's all said and spoken in a very negative kind of way, you know, because there's going to have to be social distancing and gloves and sanitation and no hugs and no handshakes and masks. And, you know, how are we going to do all of this? You know what? I've been praying and I've been fasting almost every week. And I've, been, and I've been asking God to not let us come back the way we were before we had to disperse. I want us to come back. I want us to come back with a passion for Christ. I want us to come back with a renewed sense that we are the hope of the world. Now, I understand that there's this virus and, we're, and you know, they're desperately searching to come up with a vaccine. And there's all kinds of predictions when they're going to come up with it. And I'm, I'm all for that. I don't want anybody to die of a virus or of any disease. But I want to remind all of us that people are dying every day and going into an eternity without Christ. And the only hope, the only, quote, vaccine for them is the gospel. And God has given you and me the opportunity to give that gospel away. But so oftentimes our churches become apathetic and institutionalized and all about our own business. So I'm praying that God's going to bring a fresh wind, a fresh fire, a revival into his church. You know, I don't think the COVID-19 is God's judgment, all right? What I do believe, however, is that it is God's wake-up call, his wake-up call to all of us and especially to his church, a warning of things to come. And we better be serious and we better be ready to stand in the gap and represent Christ to the world that's around us. That's what God has called you and he's called me to do. And the big question that kind of rises out of all of that is, well, how? How do we do that? And I have two secrets I want to share with you. I can give you one this weekend and I'll give you the other one next weekend because I don't have enough time. And you got to hear both of them because one without the other won't work, all right? So we're going to start with the first one. And it actually comes out of the world of, ath uh, of athleticism. So here, here it is, the world of athletics. Here it is, ready? It is visualization. Visualization, okay? And I want you to, I want you to write that down because we're going to talk about this in, in just a few moments. Now, I know it doesn't sound very spiritual, it almost sounds, ooh, new agey, but that's not where I'm going. This is actually very spiritual and, in fact, very biblical. So I've been reading a little bit about athletic performance and this whole idea of visualization. And I read one uh, man who wrote an article, uh, Patrick Cohn, and he talks about how visualization is what separates elite athletes from everybody else. Visualization is the power to be able to see, feel, and experience what you're about to do before it ever even happens. And to actually stimulate the parts of the brain that are engaged when the actual event or sport or activity does take place. So think about Michael Phelps for a moment. The most decorated Olympian ever. I think 28 medals and I think like 23 of them are gold medals. His coach, Bob Bauman, says that when Phelps was very young, he began training him on this whole issue of, of visualization, the power of visualization. He said, I told Michael, the first thing you do when you get up in the morning is I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to put in the mental video and I want you to see and smell and feel and hear every stroke, 
every move, every turn. I want you to go right through it. I want you to notice everything about it, the feel of the water, everything. And they said before every practice, I want you to once again put that mental video in and I want you to see it and feel it and smell it and experience it. And then when you actually have the race, I want you to see it, feel it, smell it, experience it before the gun goes off, before you jump into the water. And then before you go to bed at night, I want you to see it, feel it, experience it, hear it, smell it, and then go to bed. No wonder Phelps was a champion. He took it to heart and he practiced that his whole life and it paid off in a huge way. Now, I know what you're thinking to yourself. What on earth does that have to do with being in the effortless present of God's eternal presence? How is that supposed to help me? Well, listen carefully. What visualization is to an elite athlete, prayer, prayer is to a serious believer. Look again at what it says in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. It says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Now, prayer looks like it's at the, uh, at the tip of the tail, at the, at, the, at the end of the tail, all right? But I want you to know something. Just because it's last in being mentioned, it is not least. That in fact, prayer has proven to have been and is the engine behind revivals that have broken out from Pentecost to this very day around the world. In fact, the eminent theologian N.T. Wright commenting on this very passage says this. He says, whenever people neglect prayer, they're quite simply forgetting that Christians are supposed to be Heaven and earth people. Heaven and earth people. Prayer makes no sense whatever unless heaven and earth are designed to be joined together and we can share in that already, he says. So one day, the disciples of Jesus came to him and they said, Lord, teach us to pray, because they saw the power of prayer in Jesus' life. Remember how Jesus taught them what we call the Lord's Prayer? I'm sure many of you know it by heart. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in what? As it is in heaven. And so throughout the Bible, there is this, what I'll call, heaven and earth continuum. And help us kind of understand that a little bit better. What I want to do is I want to I draw it out. So I don't know if you got something to sketch on, but I'd like to encourage you to, to draw with me and then kind of think about this uh, in, in the hours to come or in the week to come. Because there's some, I think there's some profound stuff that's going to really help you learn how to live in the effortless present of God's eternal presence. So we'll go to the board here, all right, and we're going we're gonna to sketch this out. First, I, I just want you to draw what we'll call our concept of heaven, okay? You just write heaven in there, and that just represents the, the very presence of God. Now, there are two ways that we tend to live in our relationship to God and our relationship to heaven, all right? So we'll mark out one way over here, all right? And we're going to call this uh, from earth to heaven. And it's all about effort, okay? It's all about effort. This is where the Pharisees spent a lot of their time. 
all right, by effort trying to connect to God, by effort trying to please God. And sadly, this is where a lot of Christians end up, is starting from themselves in trying to be obedient and trying to live for God, all right? Now, the second way to live we'll put over here, okay? And, you know, this is the serious believer. This is the believer who understands that it's not about my effort. It is all about God's grace. And the flow is from heaven to earth, rather from earth to heaven. The flow is not from me to God, but the flow is living out from God to me, from God to me. Now, I want to dial you into this with some remarkable passages of Scripture. So let's go back and let's look at these passages of Scripture. The first one comes out of Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Look what Paul writes. He says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the what? Even the in the heavenly realms, because we are united with Christ. So I'm blessed with the heavenly, I'm blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms where Christ is. All right, now keep that in your mind, and let's move to the next passage that Paul gives us in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. He says, For he, God, raised us from the dead along with Christ. Okay, we're raised from the dead, spiritually speaking. Okay, from the spiritual dead, we've been raised. Now, someday, we're all going to die, okay, if Christ doesn't return. And the good news is that we will be resurrected with, with new bodies that will never perish, never get a virus, never get a disease again. That's to come in the future. But spiritually, we've been raised with Christ to eternal life and to hope. So he says, for he raised us from the dead, along with Christ, and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. Wow. So I've been seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. This is not a future tense. Paul's not saying this is something you're going to experience in the future. He says right now you are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms because we are united, he says, with Christ Jesus. So where Jesus is... Spiritually speaking, we are there as well. Now, look what he says in the book of Colossians. In the book of Colossians, he says, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven. Not in the future, but now. He says, right now, set your eyes, set your new life on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. He goes on, he says, For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. Now, I want you to just meditate on those verses later on because they are packed with, with huge meaning. Let's go back to our drawing, and I think we'll understand it a little bit better. <clears throat> In essence, what Paul is saying to us is we live on two dimensions. 
He's saying, on the one hand, we live in this heavenly dimension with Christ. And everything that is of Christ is ours as well. But he says, we also live on this earthly dimension. And so I've got to learn to live two-dimensionally. I've got to walk on this earth. I've got to live on this earth. But spiritually, I've got to remember my residency is in heaven. And all that I need is in heaven. It's all there for me. So let's flesh this out in a practical way and bring it into it this whole idea of visualization. And by the way, when we talk about visualization, we talk about prayer. It involves the imagination. Now, I've talked about this before, but I want to reiterate it again. God gave you an imagination. The imagination is powerful. It affects your body. If you imagine something crawling up your legs, and I've done this exercise with you when you've been in the buildings with me or on the campuses with me, you suddenly feel like something's actually crawling up, even though nothing is. Why? Because that part of the brain is being stimulated. Why did God give us imagination? So it could be used wrongly, and we see it being used in the wrong way all over the place. No. But so it could be used to understand God. And not only used to help us understand God, but to understand our relationship with him, particularly in this sense of in heaven and on earth. All right, so let's, let's flesh it out. Let's start on this side for a moment, all right? And let's talk, about, let's talk about love, okay? Now, I know that I am supposed to love others, okay? And I also know that I am supposed to love God. But when I try to love others and I try to love God from myself, from me, I don't do very well. It's easy for me to love people when they love me, when they please me, when they don't get in my way, when they agree with everything that I say, but that doesn't happen very often. Most of the time, it's hard to love people. And Jesus says, in fact, I have to even love my enemies. So that makes it really hard to do. It's also hard to love God sometimes. Because we're going to be honest, God sometimes seems to disappoint us. Doesn't answer our prayers. He allows us to get sick. He allows things to happen that, that if we were God, we wouldn't allow, right? And so what happens is we get kind of caught in this box of self. And our efforts to love continually get crushed. Here's how prayer works. Prayer says, get out of this dimension. Prayer says, start with God first. Prayer says, think about love from God's perspective. Prayer says, visualize yourself before God. See yourself. Smell heaven. Feel God's presence. Hear God tell you that he loves you unconditionally that there's nothing you could ever do to earn his love, that he doesn't love you because you perform so well. God just loves you because God chooses to love you. And God has asked you for just a short little time to take his love down here and be like Jesus and enter and stay in the pain and suffering of a broken world so that you can manifest that love to others. And with thanksgiving, return that love back to God. Looks like the drawing of a mad scientist, doesn't it? But you get it, right? You get it. I can either live from myself 
start with myself and I'm going to be defeated, or I can begin with God. And I can choose, you know what? I can choose to manifest love. I can say because what Jesus has done for me and by what I experienced from him, I can do this for others. And so in my prayer time, I not only see, feel, smell, experience, and hear what is there in the heavenly places for me, I then, I then turn around and I visualize my day coming up. I visualize the people I'm going to meet. I visualize the events I'll be part of. I'll visualize the problems I might have to face. I might even visualize things that may, that, may, that may not happen but could happen. And I determine already how I'm going to manifest the love of God to those people and in those situations. I see myself. I hear myself. I, I sense myself doing it. So that before it ever happens, before I ever have that meeting, before I ever have that conversation, I've already been there. I, I've already fired up my brain to experience it and to know how to respond to it. All of that happens, listen, through the power of prayer. The power of prayer. Well, let's, let's kind of turn that around, and uh, I'm going to have to start all over with my messy drawing because I want to use one more example, and, and you'll see why in just a moment. So we've got, we've got God's presence, right? And I'm seated with him in heavenly places. I've got the wrong way of doing things, going from me to God. It's all about effort. I'll put an E there, okay? Or I can live the way God wants me to by grace, and instead of starting with me, I start with, I start with God. And instead of talking about love this time, let's talk about, let's talk about generosity, right? Now, when things are going well financially, I, I feel a lot more generous how about you? But when things get squeezed or when the economy starts to turn like it's been doing, I tend to hoard. I tend to get pretty conservative. I tend to get very concerned about my finances. And the Bible tells me that I'm supposed to live toward others in a generous way. And I'm supposed to live towards God generously. But when I, when I do it from my own perspective, when I sit down and count out the money for my piggy bank, when I sit down with my financial advisor and look at, at what the future might be for me and what I'm, what I'm trying to save for, I can end up in a real bind and a real struggle. I can be stingy toward others, and I can be stingy towards God. Or I can take a different perspective. I can go in prayer and visit the heavenly places, and I can visualize and sense and hear and see that everything that belongs to Christ, Galatians 4 talks about this, that everything that belongs to Christ belongs to me. Man, am I rich. Are you ever wealthy? Everything that is his, we are co-heirs with him, is yours as well. See, here's what happens to us. We get so earthbound and so earth-focused that we get we get focus on this little life in the earth. Let's say it's between these two little dots, okay? And we forgive we're going to live for all eternity. So rather than looking at the big picture, we get caught up in the nanoseconds that we are here on this earth. So I visit heaven in my prayers. I go to the heavenly places. I go before God and I realize everything is mine. But for now, God says in these few nanoseconds while you're down here, could you take could you take what you do have and could you use it generously to bless others? 
And could you share it with me? Because when you share it with them, you're sharing it with me. And so what I, what I do is I then, I then come back to earth, so to speak, and I, by prayer, I visualize, I visualize how I can use the resources that God has given me to bless others here, near, and far. And I've already been generous before I've given a dollar away, before I've given any of my time away, because I started from the right perspective. This is how God works. God came down on Sinai. God came down to the tabernacle. He came to the temple. Jesus came to earth. The Holy Spirit came at Pentecost. Start with heaven and bring to bear on everything here. Bring to bear on it the will of God here. His will in heaven. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Prayer allows me to make that leap. Isn't that exciting? Have you ever thought about living that way? Do you live that way? Now, the only way you can live like that is you got to be really serious about prayer. It, it can't just be like, you know, our typical few sentences to God and we move on and we don't even, even think or remember what we said to God. It's like really coming before God. I mean, it takes Michael Phelps a lot of time. To, to visualize his race and all the things he's going to do. And he does it morning, day, and night. Prayer, morning, day, and night. Accessing everything that's given to us in God. Bringing it to bear on our lives here on this earth. Man, that's what it means to live in the effortless present of God's eternal presence. That's what it means to be in the zone with God. Are you in the zone with God? Are you living that way with him? Are you accessing all that he has for you to bring to bear on this life, in your life, and in your relationships with others? That's, that's the gift that God has given to us. So which side are you living on? Are you trying to do it from earth to heaven? Man, you're going to get fatigued and discouraged and be really grumpy. Or are you going to live from heaven to earth you know, when, when uh, you were listening to that passage there in Acts chapter 2, did you notice, did you notice how they loved being with each other? I'm going to talk more about that next weekend. Did you notice it says that nobody saw anything that they had as their own? In fact, they went and sold things that they had. They behaved in an entirely different way than they used to behave. What happened to them? This is what happened to them. Heaven, God, His presence was informing everything that they said and thought and did. May God give you and me the grace to do the same. I want to challenge you this week to begin thinking about prayer differently and to join me Thursday at 8 a.m. because there's more teaching that I want to share with you on how to pray for and actualize a revival in your life, in your family, in your marriage, in our church, in our community, and in this world. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you so much for the joy of connecting with you through prayer. I thank you, Father, for the possibility that we can live in the effortless present 
by accessing the eternal presence of God, which has been given to us in the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray, help me, help us to pray differently than we've prayed in a long time or perhaps ever before. Help us, Lord, to be able to spend time with you visualizing all that is ours, all that you've done for us, all that's already been accomplished. And help us, Lord, to draw from all of that wealth and bring it to this earth, O oh God, and visualize ourselves giving it away. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Just giving it away. Grant us, Lord, that gift we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.